Forgiveness is a step you take purely on the basis of God's character. I, out of a recognition of God, his good plan, his good purposes, and what he's done for me, I can release my anger towards this person. I let it go. But while forgiveness depends on God's character, reconciliation, the depth to which we can truly come back together, depends to a certain extent on the other person's character, on their response to what has happened, their willingness to change, their willingness to, to repent. this fall we've been in a series called God at Work When We Can't See Him. And we've been saying that we follow an invisible God, we've been called to live by faith, but in God's word he gives us principles and patterns of his working so that we can anticipate him and discern him, make better sense of our circumstances when life otherwise just wouldn't make sense. Uh, this morning we're talking about learning to forgive and learning to be forgiven. Alison Arngrim was a, 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 in a, uh, at the front of a, a line at the Los Angeles County Fairgrounds. Uh, she was with a panel of other former child actors, uh, and she was signing autographs when a woman came to the front of the line, but she didn't have anything to sign. She just stared at her. And she stared at her long, intensely, and quite uncomfortably. And her entire face started to get red and purple. And she was breathing very heavily and looking very tense. And it was going on for so long that Arngrim started to become very uncomfortable. Her husband was about to call security. And it was at that point that after swallowing and... and opening her mouth and trying to get it out, she finally said, I forgive you. Arngrim saw, uh, when she told this story, she said, this is actually quite a, a common experience for me. Uh, the woman, never met before. After saying what she said, she turned and left as quickly as she'd come. But she said this happens to her quite frequently because of a particular role that she played and that she is quite famous for. Uh, the reaction stems from her, her role as Nellie Olson on a, uh, a show, TV show from the 70s called Little House on the Prairie. Uh, in it, Olson plays a, uh, a, a, a girl who is evil personified in a child. Uh, she is cruel, vindictive, she harasses, bullies, sabotages, and creates uh, all of these uh, complicated plot lines where people are on the receiving end of her wrath, and she plays her part with perfection. Why is it, though, that someone who on a TV show that hasn't played in 40 years can still create that kind of bitterness. People are still holding on to that kind of, of pain. And why is it that people 40 years later feel a need to travel to a fairground to meet with the person and 
confess those feelings and express forgiveness. And while we're at it, why is it that we struggle so much to let go of feelings of bitterness? Why is it so difficult for us to, to forgive? How do we come around to, to uh, finding ourselves in these places and being able to let go, to find ourselves with relationships healed, with, with the, the feelings gone from us and being able to be restored? We find those same issues in our own personal relationships, and often we find those, relationship, we find those same issues in our relationship with God, uh, struggling to forgive him for circumstances, and very often struggling to forgive ourselves for things that we've done against him and others. If you've ever dealt with some of these issues of forgiveness, bitterness, being forgiven, then this passage that we're looking at, those are the questions that we're bringing to it. Those are the, uh, the, the, the questions that it seeks to answer. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. I'll be reading verses 1 to 15. Uh, in the Black Church Bibles in the rack under the seat in front of you, it's on page 36. Genesis 45, verses 1 to 15, page 36. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, for God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you've seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of God. Now, the first takeaway for us from this passage is that you can forgive when you believe that God redeems evil for good. 
that there is, is, there is power in beginning to see our relationships and even the conflict that is a part of them is being overruled and redeemed by a good God with a good plan that is accomplishing good purposes. You can forgive when you believe that God redeems evil for good. Now, as the chapter begins, there is an outburst of emotion and, uh, and feeling from Joseph. He, he is filled with intensity of emotion similar to uh, the woman in the line in the Los Angeles County fair, Fairgrounds. Only what becomes clear is that the emotion that Joseph is expressing, these are emotions of joy and emotions of love. He orders everyone uh, but his brothers out of the room, and he cries so loudly that verse 2 says they can hear his cries in Pharaoh's household. He's been willing, he's been waiting to express his love to his brothers. He has been waiting to express the joy of reconciliation with them. He has been waiting for this moment with anticipation. But I think we need to ask ourselves the question, why? Or how? How do you feel this kind of love for people who had abused him so terribly? How do you feel this kind of joy in the reunion with people who had plotted your death, who had sold you into slavery? How does, where does that kind of love come from? Where does the joy come from? Well, what's first of all clear is that he's not living in denial or ignorance. So in verse 4, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. In verse 5, he says, you sold me here. In Genesis 50, 20, he says, you meant evil against me. So it's not just like he's, you know, 20 years has passed. He's kind of forgotten what's happened. Uh, it's not just that, uh, you know, some time has passed. You think, well, Maybe they had a good reason for it. Like, it wasn't great being thrown into the pit, but they probably had their reasons. There's probably some perfectly logical explanation. No, he is very clear. What you did, that was evil, not cool. Uh, this is not normal behavior. This is not acceptable. Very clear what the evil was. But he is able, despite recognizing the evil in his brothers, he is able to forgive them. And he tells you how. He's come to believe that God's good plan trumps their evil plans. Look at verse 5. Halfway through the verse, after he says, you sold me here, he immediately adds, God sent me before you to preserve life. It's like you had this little plan, but God had this big plan. And guess what? God's plan is bigger than yours, more powerful than yours. It overrules your plan in my life. God's brought good out of this. And my hope is in him. My, my confidence is in him. My joy is in him. That's what he means in Genesis 50, 20 when he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. 
And if that's the case with people who plot murder against you and sell you into slavery, then surely it's also true about the people who cut you off in traffic, who mean you disrespect, who mistreat you in all of the millions of different ways that they do in our lives. And what we also recognize, if this is true, then when I refuse to forgive, when I refuse to let go, when I just let my anger simmer against people, I'm not just letting that anger simmer against people, I'm actually letting it simmer against God. That, that my anger is directed towards him, against him. I am refusing to accept his good plan, and I am thinking and believing that people's evil plans are really the ones that are in control and what God's doing, maybe that just doesn't seem to matter. If God is patient with sinners, do you and I have a right to be impatient with them? If God's good plan for me trumps the evil that people do, then I've got to deal with my anger, whatever the offense might have been. It's my responsibility to come to terms with the lack of forgiveness in my own heart. If God is making lemonade for me out of the lemons that people are throwing at me, then surely my responsibility is to cooperate with what he's doing, not get caught up with what they're doing. The power, part of the power for forgiveness comes in this recognition of who God is, what God has done, recognizing his goodness and submitting to his plan. And so we, we, we come through this passage and we're asking ourselves, is there someone that I need to forgive? Is there someone that I have just allowed anger or bitterness to, to, to build towards and, and I need to let it go? And what you learn from Alison Arngrim is that you might not have even ever met that person. It, it, it could be a politician. It could be, it, it could be a, a, an entire people group. It, it could be a country. It could be anything that has captured your anger, your, your stolen your joy, and created in you feelings of bitterness that you haven't been able to let, let, let go. God calls them to release those, those feelings. So God's good plan for you in this world trumps every evil that people can plot against us. And so you can forgive when you believe that God redeems that evil for good. But the next principle helps clarify the first. And it may surprise you. It may be something that you've not actually come to terms with yet. The principle is just this. You can reconcile when there's been repentance. Forgiveness is about letting go full stop. Regardless of who the person is, what they've done, your responsibility before God is to release it in forgiveness. But reconciliation is a little more complicated. A reconciliation to a certain extent depends on the other person. It depends on change and trust and some other issues that complicate it. And so you can rec reconcile when there's been repentance. Now, the tears that flow from Joseph in the beginning of this passage shows us just 
how much love there is. Shows us his heart to forgive, his desire to reconcile. And coming to see God's hand in his life has allowed him to let go of the bitterness. And maybe, maybe that's where some of you already are. God has so worked in, his, in your life. You've seen the peace that God made between you and God at the cross. And you realize, I've I, I got to forgive. And you've let it go. But you want the rest of what you see in this chapter, right? You want the rest of, uh, of the unfolding that, that we see in Joseph's life with his brothers. And, and you, 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 you see the, the unfolding. You think, this is the next step. This is what should happen. Uh, did you hear what Joseph said in verse 10? Hear what he says. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. This is great. We're all going to move into it with each other. Our kids are going to be playing at the, at the park. Or we're going to, our grandchildren, we're going to grow old together. We're going to spend this time together. We're going to be close. Then in verse 11, he's promising to bankroll them for the next five years. Like, where is this coming from? And verse 15 ends with this incredible scene Joseph and all of his brothers are gathered around. They're hugging. They're kissing. It's like a Fast and Furious movie, and Dom has just given this great speech about the importance of family, and you're like, wow, this is it. This is what I want. This should be my family. This should be my relationships. I've forgiven. Why didn't that happen? And while this is the ideal, this is what we seek, this is what we long for, this is actually not the promise of Scripture. It is not the, the one-size-fits-all message of the Bible. Remember for a moment that the very first brother's conflict ended in a homicide, right? Cain kills Abel, and Abel is, is, is righteous. He, he's, he's trying to do the right thing, and his brother kills him anyway. In fact, his brother kills him because of that. We get a little more hope in the relationship between another couple of brothers, Jacob and Esau. Uh, their, their relationship is, gives us a, a little more uh, a sense of encouragement. Uh, Jacob had left home because his brother Esau wanted to kill him. And, and don't get me wrong, Jacob had his serious issues as well, and the father, the favoritism, like it was all dysfunctional. But Somebody actually wants to kill you. You go racing uh, away. You get as far, as far away as you can. Interestingly, Jacob, like Joseph, they both go into exile. They both experience a time of testing. There is growth. There is a learning to depend upon the Lord, to trust him, to experience his goodness. There is that transformation in their lives. But you, know, you remember what happened when Jacob comes back, right? There is, in a sense, uh, a reunion. He sends gifts to him. He, he bows, groveling at Esau's feet. And, and it ends with them, they, they hug and they, and they kiss. And we think, oh, this is good. This is, this is what we want. This is the, the, the hope that we have. But then Esau suggests that they go together on a road trip to Seir. And, and Jacob Jacob hears that and he's like, 
road trip together, all of our families, our kids playing together, my wives and yours, and, and we do this. And he's like, that, that's a, a great idea. Let's do that. I don't know why I didn't think of it. But you know what? My kids, you know, they've just been on a long journey. They're really cranky. They need a nap. I'm not sure this is going to work right. I got it. You go ahead, and we'll catch up with you later. And Esau goes ahead. Jacob waits for him to get out of sight, and he turns, and he goes the opposite direction. What went, what went wrong there? Had he not forgiven him? No, that wasn't the problem. There was forgiveness, but Jacob still wasn't sure, is this guy going to kill me? Are my children really safe with him? Like, living together, I'm just not sure that I'm ready for that kind of trust. I'm not sure that he's done the work. I'm not sure there's been the change. And so the reconciliation never really happens. There's a coming together. It's a bit of a, kind of like a truce. But it's not a full reconciliation. What makes things so different with Joseph and his brothers is that Joseph forgives his brothers completely and they have repented fully. That's what all the testing was about. That's what all the, 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 the silver cup and the sack was all about. I have to know whether they've really changed because if there is going to be reconciliation... Like, we can't just sweep under the rug the fact that, you know, there's been some attempted homicide here. There's been some human trafficking going on here. Like, we can't just ignore that. Forgiveness, in that sense, is, is one thing. Reconciliation is more complicated. Forgiveness is a step you take purely on the basis of God's character. I, out of a recognition of God, his good plan, his good purposes, and what he's done for me, I can release my anger towards this person. I let it go. But while forgiveness depends on God's character, reconciliation, the depth to which we can truly come back together, depends, to a certain extent, on the other person's character, on their response to what has happened, their willingness to change their willingness to to repent. And so sometimes the next step after repentance, what it looks like is is more like a a truce. It's a recognition that um, maybe what it looks like is it's going to take us some time to rebuild trust. There's going to be a a time where we're kind of feeling like how safe is it for us to be to, to, to one another? And with an abusive person, maybe what forgiveness looks like is it it is not safe for me to be close to you because uh, there's just not been the growth. There's not been the change. And I think I know what's going to happen next. I forgive you, but reconciliation is more complicated. There's a sense in which this is even true with Jesus. And many people misunderstand this. Everybody knows that Jesus on the cross who prays, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We love that Jesus. 
But it's the same Jesus who also says that he'll turn away people who thought that they were in, who thought that they were on side, thought that they were getting into heaven. And it's that Jesus who says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not personal. I'm not holding grudges. But if there's no repentance, you're not getting invited to the reunion. If you're unwilling to change, then the reconciliation is not going to take place. In that sense, forgiveness is unconditional. Reconciliation is conditional. And I don't know if that's a concept that you've fully thought through. Some of you may carry shame over a fractured relationship. And every time you hear the word, the, the Bible's teaching on forgiveness, you're carrying around this weight because you think forgiveness has to equal the, the, the reunion where everyone's hugging and kissing and, and moving into each other and bankrolling their future. And, and you think, that's what I want. But it, it doesn't, that doesn't seem to work. And you need to know that Maybe there's a reason that maybe that is not on you. Maybe that is another person for whom this thing called reconciliation is just not possible right now. Maybe, though, that you're in the other boat. Maybe you're annoyed with someone who, you know, there's been some tension in the past. There's been some conflict. But you're annoyed with them that things aren't like they were before. And maybe you've even accused them of not being forgiving. And maybe that's the problem. But maybe it's you. Maybe you haven't done the work to rebuild the trust. Maybe you thought forgiveness equaled we don't need to deal with the past. And that's, that's just not how it works. It's not how it works in the people's relationships with each other in Scripture. It's not how it works in our relationship with the Lord. That doesn't work anywhere. And so maybe it's not them. Maybe it's you. Maybe there's some work to be done. Maybe you actually need to deal with that thing that you haven't actually been willing to deal with. Maybe there needs to be confrontation of that past. Maybe there needs to be repentance. Maybe you need to do the work of change. And then there can be the reconciliation. Then there can be the coming together. So far we've said that you can forgive when you believe that God redeems evil for good. Then we've said you can reconcile when there's been repentance. That step is more complicated than the first. But the final principle of this passage is that God has no penalty box for repentant sinners. This is all about not giving forgiveness, but receiving it and what it is intended to do and accomplish in our lives. Because so far, we've been viewing the passage through the eyes of Joseph, right? But the reality is we're a lot more like the brothers. We're, we're a lot more like them in need of forgiveness than we are like perfect Joseph in offering forgiveness. We're not nearly the victims that we would otherwise like us, ourselves to be. And so the message is, God has no penalty box for repentant sinners. 
Now, we saw last time how the brothers were tested. Joseph needed to know that their repentance was real and change had actually taken place. And so he was very thorough with that. He was very clear about that. But he's seen that that has taken place. He sees Judah making that, that appeal, take my life instead of my brother's. He recognizes these are different people now. He recognizes that he can trust them. And so when he, when he sees that, he wants them to be free from their past. He wants them to genuinely experience the freedom that comes with forgiveness. Here, the, here is sensitivity in verse 5. He says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Because uh, God sent me before you to preserve life. He's not, not only is he forgiving them, he wants them, even on the inside, to be free of this. He wants them to put it behind them. Not to, not to be weighed down by this thing in their hearts. He cares about how they feel, and particularly how, about the guilt that would otherwise weigh them down, keep them from moving forward. And you know what the last thing he says to them? They're going to they're gonna go back now, make this long journey back home. And, and you know what? He, the parting words. Like, if it were me, I'd be like, and you guys think about what you've done, right? I'm still kind of mad. It's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this again. You know what the last thing he says? The last word, because they're going to think about the last word through the whole trip. You know what he says to them? Verse 24, do not quarrel on the way. Don't argue. Don't, don't get caught up in this thing. And he's, it was really your, your idea. No, it was your fault. And you said kill him. I, at least I said let's sell him. That kind of saved his life. Don't get pointing fingers and casting blame. Move forward. Don't get looking back. You, you can imagine the trip back to Canaan, right? They got to meet dad, who they have watched grieve a dead son for 20 years and in one sense they've got good news he's alive but first they've got to give him the bad news he that kind of story about him getting killed by an animal that wasn't really the truth we sold him as a slave and that's an uncomfortable thing to have to tell right this is not a a warm conversation that you're looking forward to. Joseph says, don't quarrel on the way. You've dealt with your past. You've repented. You've confessed that. Now, look forward. Remember, I, I have just promised you hope and a future. I have just promised you salvation. I have just offered you forgiveness. Talk about that on the way home. Rejoice in the fullness of God's forgiveness. Look forward to that. Don't keep looking back to what you've done. Now, that's a powerful message. And the message for us is that once repentance has taken place, continuing to look back is actually counterproductive. Because God doesn't want us to dwell there, to sit there, to stew there. He wants us actually to move forward. 
He offers us great hope, and he wants us to take steps of obedience moving forward with him. Now, that's a powerful message in itself, but when you see that message in the context of the entire book of Genesis, it's amazing. Zoom out for me, zoom out with me for, for a moment. Genesis begins with a conflict and a broken relationship. Adam and Eve sin against God, and they are cast out from his presence. And we identify with them. We're like, yeah, that's me. I, I think I've taken that fruit as well. And so we identify with them, but we also feel the hopelessness of it. Like, what do we do? We're, 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 we have this broken relationship. What hope is there for us? In between, there are messages of judgment, there are messages of faith, and there's a promise of, of a savior. There's a promise that God is doing something to redeem this world. But in the end, in the end of this book that we have been set up and it's created this tension, like what do we do with these conflicts? What do we do with our, our, the, our, the sins that we have made against others and against our God? At the end of this book, there arises a, a savior-like figure. We see in Joseph one who is, uh, is seemingly being uh, raised up as, as a savior. He suffers mistreatment. He's thrown into a pit. He's reported as dead. But he's alive. He, he is alive and he is being raised by God to the throne and he has been seated second in command. This, this savior figure gives us a picture of, like, we, we see in him uh, the opportunity now to deal with this evil of the world, and we're thinking, how is he going to do with it? He, he, the, the, the perpetrators are now sitting in front of him. What will he do to them? How will he resolve this? And in the critical scene, the people who had abused him and sold him, they're now groveling before him, and we're thinking, what's going to happen? How, how does the Savior treat these, these people who have done such evil? Will, they throw him, will he throw them into a pit? Will he so, throw them into slavery? Will it be an eye for an eye? That would be fair, right? Amazingly, he bursts into tears and expresses his love and forgiveness. He invites them to live with him in a place that sounds a lot like Eden. Sounds a lot like the garden. And he lavishes them with gifts and food and promises of salvation. And what you realize is that you and I had gotten caught up in this story about Joseph and his brothers but as you back up and you see the whole book, you realize this isn't just about them. This is our story. This is God's story. This is Jesus' story. It's the story of the entire Bible. It's a message that through repentance and faith, there is a Savior that God has raised up to bring us salvation. There is one whom God has called, God has set apart, God has raised to his right hand. 
who offers salvation to all who would turn to him. And you realize that, that incredible message of, uh, of redemption that there is. And so if you haven't taken the place that Joseph's brothers did in this story, if you haven't repented of your sins, if you haven't dealt with the, the past, been willing to face it and turn from it and saying, no more, that's not my path anymore, then don't presume on his forgiveness. Look to him today. Turn to him. But if you have, feel that work of forgiveness. Receive it, that forgiveness. You can be free of what the, 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 the chapters that God has closed on your life. You can walk forward now. And if you are walking forward with him, you know that he has called you to that same ministry of forgiveness that you have received yourself. Praise the Lord for what he's done. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God who forgives sinners. We thank you that you have provided a solution to the problem that surely all of us have. Help us to face our sins and turn from them. When you close the book on our sins, help us not to open it up again. Help us to show the same forgiveness to others that you show to us. And help us to trust you, to trust that you know what you're doing, to trust that your plan is good, even when it seems like evil is winning, we believe that your plan will trump that. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name.